is lead and believe. I believe, Benny. Now can you help me lead? Oh, boy, Brad. Here we go again. Absolutely. This is a podcast for leaders who want to build a world-class culture. I'm Brad Gustafson. And I'm Ben Gilpin. Ben, so good to connect again. I've been looking forward to this date for a really long time. I'm looking at the guest list and the the conversations that we get to have. I don't know how you're bringing these people in or what you're telling them about us, but way to go, Ben. Do you want to quickly tell us how you're doing, but then really get to the good stuff? Because like I said, today has been on the calendar, Ben. I can't wait. Uh, yeah, we do. Have, we have a fantastic guest with us. Personally, on my end, you know, things have been pretty good. It's been, I tend to feel like, um, you know, I, one of the things right now is that um, if you look out anywhere, you see um, yard signs. And those yard signs point to the, the climate of the of the world, right? Are we talking garage sales, political elections? What are you referring to here, Ben? There you go. There you go. All the election okay. stuff. It just seems like uh, you can't miss the yard signs everywhere. And it just feels like we ride a roller coaster and the ups and downs of all the things, which really I, I'm excited that uh, we have an expert with us um, in leadership and, and all things with uh, Joseph, uh, Joseph Michelli. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Ben. And thank you, Brad. You know, just to that point, I did a book recently where I surveyed leaders mm-hmm. and I intentionally made sure I didn't choose any political leaders because I think that's like a whole different you know, got to take care of myself, protect myself sort of leadership, which is different than the constituency-based leadership that most of the rest of the world deals with. So thanks for sharing that. So ever since I started kind of prepping for this conversation, like I wanted to ask, because your most recent book is, I think if I read the intro correctly, it's pandemic-tested leadership strategies just to help people through challenges and adversity. And I'm thinking to myself, it still feels like we're in the pandemic or maybe trying to recover, however you want to look at it. So I don't even know if I process fully. So can you, like, what are some noticings that you had as far as strategies go that helped leaders, you know, stand the test of time, right the ship, persevere, help their teams persevere? You know, I think that the, the interesting thing about the pandemic is that it was such a different sort of leadership challenge than what most of us have faced in our lifetime, that people tried what they always used and it didn't necessarily work. So some of the things like just pulling more inward and trying to have all the answers and many of the things that leaders think they need to have, great gravitas, no vulnerability. And as you looked at it through the journey, many of these people had to just pivot and do some very different things. So you saw people collaborating in ways that they had not collaborated as leaders. You saw leaders who may have had a primary pattern of leading from the front, having to learn how to lead from behind or lead from the side. There was a lot of interesting shifts, I think. Um, And just self-care probably was apparent over time. Maybe initially people thought they could do it without any self-leadership and just you know, forge on. But over time, I think you saw people start to say, wait, this is not sustainable. I got burned pretty bad on the, the one of my strategies usually that works well is planning ahead or trying to be organized. And, and that did not work during the pandemic because it felt like you plan ahead and then everything changed five times before you actually got to the launch date or or whatever. Yeah. I think the horizon line was short. I mean, it just was short. We couldn't do five year strategic planning or one year strategic planning, but we could do, you know, the day mission planning and Mm -hmm. we could have the morning meeting to set that mission objective and then do the debrief at the end of the day and reset our goal for the next day. And I think as time went on, that horizon line could, 
extend out a little bit. But there were days where it was just, let's get through today. Right. Thoughts, Benny? You, you look like you're deep in thought, buddy. Lay it on us. Well, so Joseph, you know, one of the things that um, I know I deal with, but I think a lot of leaders deal with is some, when you have your own personal challenges that impact yourself as a, as a professional. And so sometimes, you know, there's this realm of us that we try to separate personal and professional, but I think, I think it tends to kind of blend together. And I know part of your background, you know, you've, you've had loved ones that have dealt with, um, with disease and, and difficult things. What have you done yourself to try to, when you have the marriage between personal and professional happen, and then what would be some of the advice that you'd give to others, that personal and professional, when it comes together? Well, I, I think everything, all business is personal, really. You get right down to it. It's it's personal for your the person you're serving. It's, you know, your own personal issues are in the mix. I think I used to deny that those things really were there and that I could just power through them and I didn't need... Uh, you know, to really pay much attention to them. My work was my distraction, uh, all those sort of things. And I also grew up in an era where you didn't kind of show what you felt. And so you tried to hold it strong and maintain this illusion of, you know, just perfection. And, you know, people could see through it, though, you know, we try so hard to keep putting plaster on the cracks. I think for me, it was really getting real. You know, when when the pandemic hit, as an example, I pulled the team together and I said, we just had my Godiva book. We were about to do a book about Godiva chocolate and I'd worked for them for a long time and we we're really well positioned. It was their going to be their 95th anniversary and we we're going to be doing the book about that, you know, this iconic brand. And then my tour to the factory got shut down. The high street shores got locked down and stores got locked down. It was clear there was not going to be a book, no matter what the book agreement said. And so I just pulled the team together and I said, I have absolutely no idea what we're going to do right now. I have no clue what we're going to do with all this time. We've had allotted for that and how we're going to make a difference and create value. And I think that vulnerability enabled the team to start talking about ideas. And we were quick to say, look, I have a background in clinical psychology as a PhD. Let's start creating value for people. Let's start sending out coping videos to all your, you know, all our clients. No monetary clarity as to what, what that, how is that going to generate anything for us financially, but it certainly got us doing something productive, uh, which has turned out to be a real godsend because many of those clients later on in life remembered that we served them and that service served us in the end. What other lessons, if I can talk, that we learned and that leaders you talked to learned then really feel uh, applicable and powerful still right now? I think that there was humility in leadership. There was a sense of compassion with assertiveness. What does that mean? What does that mean, Joseph? <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, you can, you can demonstrate compassion to the point that you let people run over your needs, mm. right? Uh, and you don't set lines. You can be so assertive that you're dogmatic and non-collaborative. So I think we saw leaders who had a, an awareness that we we're all in this ship together and it was rough tides and maybe different boats, but but rough tides. And so how are we going to help people stay with us through this journey? And so, I, I, you know, I think we have different economic challenges right now. We have different political tension challenges. There's always going to be something out there, but the uniqueness was just how vulnerable. I mean, I literally saw CEOs of Fortune 500 companies with whom I work 
admitting to mistakes that they would have never admitted to prior to the pandemic because they would have just been so afraid of the you know shareholder fallout. But they were real and their teams had high engagement levels and their ingenuity and innovation was greater than what they'd ever mustered before the pandemic. So I, I think that vulnerability, that compassion with an assertive strength that says, here are some limits, but we're going to be really respectful of the individual. So what would you say to the person out there that says, I've, I've tried to be vulnerable, it's come back to bite me? Yeah, I mean, I think there is a risk to vulnerability. You also have to remember the gain of vulnerability, you, the humanity. You know, some of the biggest mistakes I ever make is when I'm not vulnerable because it really sends a message to everybody else that they should not be vulnerable too, which means they shouldn't tell me if they make a mistake. We shouldn't be focused on, you know, solving things and finding ways to cover for each other. Instead, we're all just trying to go it alone. So I think there are risks and, and I would not deny them. I think you have to be calculated in how vulnerable you are. I mean, I think there are people who just want to disclose everything about their lives to everybody. Uh, that isn't leadership. Leadership is the ability to say, hey, I'm not sure. Leadership is let's say, hey, you know, even though I'm not sure, I think we can figure out a way together. Let's start putting our heads together. Let's go through this. Uh, leadership is saying, I'm not really strong today. I need to take a day uh, to kind of get myself focused. Um, and I think all of that enables other people to do the same, which makes an organization better in the end. Mm, I really like where you went with that, because that is there is that different degrees of vulnerability that everyone has to be comfortable with. So one of the things that I, you know, kind of transitioning a little bit, but along the same lens, adversity. And, and you know, I, I know that your background, you, you've done extensive work in dealing with adversity and, and how leadership can grow from that. And you can actually be stronger through adversity, I think kind of stealing a little bit of paraphrasing your line. Well, that's one thing that I truly believe, and I've shared that with, uh, with the people that I serve. How do you get people to embrace that level of adversity, though? Because oftentimes people, people don't like to experience adversity. No, I mean, who would? I mean, it, it's like, uh, let me choose here, Don Pardo. Is it going to be adversity or not adversity? I, you know, I think we know what we'd rather choose. The reality is we don't get a choice. And because we don't get a choice, what we get to do is choose how we respond to it. That's all we get. And, I, you know, I love a blog you wrote, Ben, where you're talking, I believe, about some adversity in, you know, in your high school golfing days. And what was struck me about that blog, and I think it's just true of so many people, is so if we don't achieve the success instantly that we think we want, then how do we manage it with grace and maintain a sense of respectfulness about the way we go through that process? And I think some people suffer miserably through adversity and other people do it in ways that inspire the rest of us. You know, one of my great, great readings, you know, is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And in the book, he talks about a state where some people are just, you know, nobody has food, but some people are near death. And of the people who are starving, but not near death, there's a group that gave their food to the people who are more, you know, more in trouble than they were. And he goes on to say, not many people do. Not many people will act that way in that level of adversity. But the fact that humans can should be an inspiration to all of us. Uh, and I think that's what we should be doing. We should be trying to be those people that walk through adversity with a grace and dignity that inspires others, if we're going to call ourselves leaders. That, to me, and, and, and that's one of the, you know, Brad and I have had this conversation about what would great leaders do? What would compassionate leaders do? You know, we've had that conversation before, and that's when... When I think to myself, when I deal with adversity, 
I say to myself, well, if you want to put yourself in a position to lead, this is why. Because anybody can do it when it's easy. So if you truly want to be a strong, good, great leader, you need to have a level of being able to embrace adversity. You know, in the book, Stronger Through Adversity, I have all these quotes from people. I know you quoted Walt uh, Walt Disney, I believe, in the blog that I read. But there's so many people who have talked about adversity. And, you know, some of our greatest presidents, they've gotten letters from people that says, you're not going to be tested, you know, in the good times. You're going to be tested in the crucible of crisis. And you look at people that we look at as leaders who got us through some really challenging time like Lincoln. And it's clear that they managed that adversity in a way that held the union together. Is there a difference in how we approach big adversity and and big challenges and little challenges, relatively speaking? Because I would assume, yeah. I think little challenges are great ways to strengthen your skill set to manage the big ones. Can you say more about that? That's interesting. Yeah, no, no. I think, uh, you know, the little stuff is the place where you get to to work on your muscle strength. Mm. uh, And you hope you have enough of it to handle the big ones. But sometimes the big ones are even greater than anything you've prepared yourself for. You use the same muscle effort and you keep moving your feet forward and you enlist other people. You take pauses and take care of yourself. And uh, yeah, you get there. And I, I just saw it over and over again. I was uh, One of the people in my book is Stacey Salvi, who is a, a VP of Fitbit. And she goes, you know, I was so worried about making sure that we were leading the use of our technology through the crisis that I didn't get up from my desk for hours and hours and hours. We're working with Stanford University, doing all these kind of innovative uh, research projects. And I realized I needed my own Fitbit to tell me that I needed to get up and walk around. And I think it's kind of that point. We need to figure out how to have something that triggers us to say, this is a little bigger than you're normally used to. Take a break. Come back at it with a little more refreshed energy. (laughs) And I hear exactly what you're saying with your Fitbit because I know my Apple Watch does the same thing. <laughs> it's yeah. telling me constantly, hey, keep moving. You're not there yet. Yeah. Okay, so Joseph, I'm going to kind of set you up for this one a little bit. You work with a lot of different companies, a lot of different people, and you provide the Michelli experience. So if you were to tell somebody what that is, an elevator deal, what would you say to someone about the Michelli experience? Oh, it's it's a piece of cake. We serve those who serve well. You know, when I was young, uh, I would serve anybody. You know, people would call me and say, hey, it's going to be the year of the customer or the year of the student or the year of the patient. And I would go in and help them. Nowadays, when people say things like that, I'm like, what was the year before? Like the year of the pizza? I mean, every year should be the year of the human that you serve. And if you're not committed to that in a full-on way, I really don't need to bring my resources to bear. There are too many other people who are trying to do the right thing. So we serve those who serve well. We do consulting for mostly Fortune 500 CEOs and helping them elevate the customer experience that they deliver. Most of my books, I think nine or so of them, have been about companies like Starbucks or Ritz-Carlton, Mercedes-Benz, where we've gone in there and help those authentic leaders servant lead their organizations in the direction of greater service to their stakeholders, whatever those people are called, customers, employees, vendors. It sounds like you help organizations and leaders elevate themselves and their cultures. When's a time you've experienced transformation? Oh, I was, um, you know, I went through uh, with my wife, Nora, a six-year battle of breast cancer. There were so many times when it was just, you know, I don't even, I was so exhausted. I don't know how to lead my organization. There was times early on that I would just try to do it anyway. And I think what I learned is the more I 
went to the team and really entrusted them with the right intention and with as much support as I could muster, great things happen. So for me, transformation comes from sometimes just being too exhausted to, to try to fake like I could do it myself. Who was somebody that influenced you? Oh, gosh, my very first boss influenced me. I was uh, 13 years of age, got a job at a radio station. Basically, I won a contest and I met this guy and he said, hey, could you come back here with your third class broadcast license and we'll give you a job. And I didn't know what that meant. And I went and studied for it and got my license. It was a time in the FCC history when you had to do that kind of thing and came back at you know 13 and a half with a broadcast license. And the guy stayed up to his word and gave me a job. It took me a while to get on air, but, uh, you know, he could have just patted me on the head and said, kid, I was just kidding, you know, but it was transformation. And Martin Nonhoff will live forever as one of those human beings who taught me that if you say it, you better do it. What was the contest? It was a record giveaway plus a ham. Uh, and they were backward masking. It was really great. They were backward masking. If you could decipher this, you'll, you know, you'll get six inches of records and a ham, 45s. And then the actual answer was six inches of records and a ham. That was what was backward masked. So nice. there you go. More information than you want to know. And you didn't have that time back. That's the kind of stuff I live for, Joseph. <laughs> okay. So piggybacking off of, of the previous question. The ham. Yeah, piggybacking off the ham. You, know, yeah. you got, you got, to, you were influenced. How important is it for leaders today to have someone believe in them, a mentor, a surrounding team? Because we hear all the time, you can't do it alone. Yeah, and if you're lucky, the team's already there, right? And you can find someone from there. If not, you got to go out and find them. You know, there's no excuse just because you look across the landscape and you don't really see anybody you think is your mentor. You got to find a mentor. There's a lot of human beings out on the planet, and it's incumbent upon us to seek them out. The answer to your question is we stand on the shoulders of giants, and the only way we get anywhere is in a collaborative environment. So the people who don't get that uh, really end up very self serving and end up normally burning out and not sustaining success. They can look good for a while. They're meteorically rising, but they fall pretty quickly too without a support system to lift them up. Joseph, what's the smallest step a leader could take to help create that collaborative environment you just talked about? I think that the smallest step is to be of service to someone else, right? I mean, the smallest step is to say, who can I help today? And then the second step is to say, who can help me today? And where do I ask? And how do I ask? And you know, most people, gosh knows, people have asked me and I've turned them down because I'm just too busy. Other people have asked me and I've said yes. And it's a matter of timing. And, you know, I've asked many, many people who've turned me down. And, you know, I've also gotten some amazing people who've said yes to mentorship. Very cool. Brad Gustafson, you know, lead or believe? I am going to choose lead. And here's what I'm going to do differently as a result of this conversation. <laughs> there are a couple of mic drop moments. I think my pen is running out here, but when uh, Joseph shared early on, let's see here, I got so many notes in front of me. All business is personal. That is one of the many things that resonated. And I think what I want to do differently in my leadership, or at least maybe enhance how I do it, every email I get, every every interaction, just remind myself, this is personal to this other person too, and not try to funnel them down my thought pattern or my experience or the way I think it should be, but just really to hear and live in the humanity of what they're asking for or the feedback that I'm getting. I think that's just a powerful reminder. So that's how I want to enhance my leadership based on today. So by default now, you're going to tell us something that you now believe. Correct? Am I following, Ben? Okay. 
You are, you are. And so something that, uh, you know, it's a little bit more internal. You know, one thing, as I looked at Joseph's books and now actually having the, the conversation, checking out his website. And so people out there, check out josephmichelli.com. This is exactly, I mean, this fits right into why we are called lead and believe. And so the believe part for me is we are going to experience adversity. And there is that that internal conversation that you need to have with yourself. And that internal conversation, there's a reason that you're a leader. And that reason is to deal with the challenges, the adversity, the difficulty. If it was always easy, everybody would do it. There's a reason why you are in a leadership position. And so it has to be on that believe end. Joseph, you got uh, any last takes for us? Oh, absolutely. Here's my last, last take. And I think it was really probably more prominent uh, with the leaders I talked to who were going through adversity. And that is, it's kind of start with the end in mind stuff from Covey, but it's really more focused on start with what lasting impact you want to have. What leadership legacy do you want to have? Uh, John Maxwell says we're all going to be remembered as leaders in one sentence. So write it down now. And I think what I saw from the leaders who really did well, who th- who were able to get their organizations to thrive through the pandemic, they knew what they wanted to come out of the pandemic with. They knew what they wanted their leadership to be about and what lasting impact they wanted to have. So I'd encourage everyone to take a moment, think about what do you really want your impact to have been? Uh, imagine that you're at the end of your career looking back, uh, what kinds of things you're going to need to do today, tomorrow, uh, who, what kind of accountability coach you're going to need to have available to make sure that you stay on path to actually leave the impact that you intend to have. Because it's either going to happen by design or default. I'd recommend designing it, committing to it, and having people who can support you on the journey. For the first time ever in the show, I'm changing my answer on my previous one. My new lead is to write a the one the leadership sentence just to approach all this with intention. I really like that one. Way to save the best for last, Joseph. Yeah, I just tried to fool you with the other one. So I'm glad you saw through that. <laughs> oh, well, this has been great. Uh, so everyone, as, as you listen to this, uh, first off, check out josephmichelli.com. Joseph, thank you again for coming on. This is exactly what Lead and Believe is all about. And we all deal with adversity. We all deal with challenges. I felt like you uh, you really gave so many takeaways for everyone to to listen to and, and uh, grow from. Um, so feel free, use the hashtag, hashtag Lead and Believe, and share your thoughts as you listen to the episode. Thanks again, Joseph. Amazing. Bye, Ben. Bye, Brad. Thanks, Joseph. Take care. Creating a world-class culture requires intention and optimism. And sometimes it's the small steps a leader takes that matter the most. We hope today's conversation helps you move hearts and mountains as you lean and believe. believe.